Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Uh, I'm going to read the passage here. In, uh, I'm going to read it here first in the ESV, um, but we'll continue on here, but, and then we'll continue on. Uh, Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. I'll be reading from the ESV here. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That's our passage, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. But first, as we start, I wanted to uh, go through this little, read through this little illustration here. We have a very uh, entertainment-oriented culture, and it's easy to imagine that performing on stage in front of thousands of people could make, people would make their life complete that way. Someone who ought to know, and some of you may recognize the name, someone who ought to know is Dallas Holm, who has sung in the contemporary Christian music scene for decades. Uh, And in one interview in Contemporary Christian Magazine, he told uh, the interviewer, says, I have young artists who come up to me and say, if I don't get to do what you're doing, then I will never be happy. I have to say to them, then you will never be happy. Happiness isn't based on what you do for him. It's based on who you are in him. So happiness truly is being a child of our Father in heaven. Now, just a brief context, just a reminder of where we are. Uh, Mark 10 is a major shift in things. Jesus has had uh, several withdrawals from Galilee and the the Jews and gone into Gentile regions and have returned. And Mark 10 begins uh, the final journey to Jerusalem as far as Mark is giving the account of the story or giving the account of Jesus' life. And so we have begun, last time we looked, he was traveling down from Galilee along the far side of the, of the Jordan River in the Perea area, um, got into a conversation and a discussion with some Pharisees over the matter of marriage and divorce, and, as, and we are continuing on from there. We might still be in the same area, but we have traveled on a little bit from there, and we pick up here in verses 13 through 16. We're going to look first at verse uh, 13, Mark 10, 13. I'll be back in the New King James here. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. In verse 13, we see those that are seeking Jesus, seeking Jesus. Parents were bringing children to Jesus, to where they knew Jesus were. Why? Well, they were looking for blessings. They were seeking blessings. This was a common thing. This was a common thing in the time. And this account is uh, found in the parallel accounts of both Matthew 19 and Luke 18. Uh, But they're a a little bit different. Mark has uh, some more detail than Matthew and Luke. Matthew includes a certain uh, couple other elements that the others don't. Um, But those are the parallels to this account. Now, I said they were bringing the children to them. And this was common 
Children, uh, parents typically brought their children to rabbis or as the, or the holy man that was of some popular or was in the area to seek blessings, to get God's blessings upon them. We want to bring out here that the, the word little children that is used here, this is a, a kind of a wide-ranging word, um, usually refers to children younger than puberty. Uh, really, you could almost say anywhere from infants to 12 is that, is that kind of range. Luke alone in his account mentions that infants were being brought. Luke mentions they were bringing infants seeking blessing. So that does, and, and with Mark and Matthew's words of this other word, it kind of gives us that there, there's a good range. It may be fairly young children, but there's probably, there could be a range of children here, likely under puberty, no matter what. But we have to question, did these parents truly believe Jesus? Well, I mentioned this was a common thing for them to do. There may have certainly have been some that believed. They were certainly captivated by his teachings and his healing ministry. But I think probably a number of them were simply getting a blessing from the currently popular rabbi who happened to be back in town. Just trying to get some divine protection. You could liken it to parents that claim Christianity and have their infants baptized, whether even though they may never darken the door of a church again. I've, I've done one at 82. I don't really believe, but I want my baby baptized. Because then maybe the Lord will look after them and well, good things will happen there. I think you could liken some of this to, to that kind of thought process here. They were... This seeking of blessings may not have been anything more than simply the, a natural folk religion. I'm going to go to the local holy man or the local rabbi and have them invoke a blessing on God. Uh, invoke a blessing from God on my child. Okay. So that's kind of what we're seeing here. There may be some that, that maybe do believe in Jesus and who really are accepting him. Um, but we've seen in the, all the accounts that there, there were numbers captivated by his teaching and his ministry. But not necessarily all of them were true believers at the time. Now this gives us a little bit of a setup that we see in verse 13. And the, the disciples rebuked them. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but the disciples were rebuking these parents, and they know, let's not do this. Now, as we move on, let's look at verses 14 and 15. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased with them, with the, with the disciples. And he said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Short, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So in verses 14 and 15, we have do not hinder. Do not hinder. So we need to stop a little bit, look back at verse 13 and see what the disciples were doing. They were rebuking the parents, bringing their children. They were actively stopping them. The word rebuke here, Mark is using a word that, that indicates a strong disapproval, a censure of the act, intending to stop the action. Now, these may have been little, smaller children, maybe four or five. They, the parents may have said, hey, there's, go right up and, and see Jesus. Have him bless you. 
and that may have actually, no, like parents do, no, stop. <laughs> right? They may have actively been putting their hands out trying to stop these people from coming in. They were likely thinking they were protecting Jesus' time and energy. They likely saw this, possibly at this moment at least, as an unnecessary intrusion in, into Jesus' time and taking of his energy. They were traveling to Jerusalem. He, they were probably fairly tired after however long they traveled that day. They may have done this on a number of occasions and felt this was still part of what they needed to do. But we also see a little bit here that they were likely having a wrong view of the children. Remember, we talked about this a little bit back when we were finishing chapter 9. Children were viewed with a little value in the social structure. Though Judaism did place a higher value on children than other cultures, they were still fairly low on the social structure. No, kids, you don't need to come see Jesus right now. He is busy. Go back to your parents. So either the disciples missed Jesus' lesson in Capernaum back in chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, or they just forgot it. If we'll look back there, chapter 9, looking at verses 36 and 37, and Jesus, uh, then he, Jesus, took a little child and set him in the midst of them. This is the 12. And, he had to, uh, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. They either missed it or they had forgotten about it. Because again, we're dealing with children. And the disciples' action here resulted in a rebuke to them from Jesus. And it's um, verse 14, so, and he, in the New King James says, and he was greatly displeased. From what I was seeing, that was a uh, fairly tame way of translating that. Uh, the, the ESV reads indignant. The word shows a very strong emotion toward what was seen as wrong. Um, this word is used uh, of the chief priests towards children worshiping Jesus in the temple following the triumphal entry in Matthew 21. where uh, he was in the temple, he doing some teaching. There were children and they began to worship him, calling Hosanna, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the chief priests say, why was, were indignant and say, why don't you tell them to stop? Okay, so it's the same word that's used here. But this is the only time it is used in Mark's account and certainly only used in Mark's account of this scene. And it's the only time that it's from what I could see that it was used of Jesus, used to describe Jesus' emotion at the time. Not even, Mark at least didn't include it when he turned on Peter. 
when Peter, Peter said, no, no, Lord, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and get killed. No, that's not going to happen to you. Get behind me. He, there, he wasn't indignant with him. This is one of the only times it was used with Jesus, as far as what I could see in my research. After telling them, no, stop this, he gives them some commands. He says, let them come. This command to the disciples was to allow the children in the current scene should have come to them and that they should continue to have access to him. The disciples didn't need to do this. They should have let them come and that they could even have continued access. It says, and do not forbid or do not hinder them. This negative command is similar to what Jesus had told them in Capernaum about stopping another ministering in his name. Mark 9, verses 38 and 39. The same word for forbid or stop is used in chapter 9, verse 39, as is here. Do not forbid, do not hinder, do not stop them. The disciples may have, like I said, may have actually thrown their hands out to stop the crowd from getting to Jesus. But Jesus commands them not to do this because they had become the obstruction to someone coming to Jesus. And now he gives a little bit of a reason. He says, for such is the kingdom of God. For of such is the kingdom of God. Of such, these with certain qualities or characteristics. Well, what qualities, what characteristics? Those of the children. Now, many, as I was doing some research, many teachers have, have taken this passage. Some have mistakenly attached uh, infant baptism to this. Uh, some other teachers have taken this and they've gone in different directions. I was kind of surprised some of the teachers that were using this, uh, of using this as even for um, applying uh, children that, um, the, the innocence of the young that died. And so they'll be in heaven because Jesus was saying, let the children come to me. Kind of a stretched in, in, in this situation. Um, but I'm not touching, I'm not going to touch infant baptism in this because baptism isn't here. It's not what it's about. It's about coming to Christ, it's about coming to Jesus. So, what are these qualities of children that we're supposed to see here? is the qualities that those with a receptive, trustful, and dependent spirit. He says, of such is the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God here in this context is speaking broadly, I believe, of God's present rule in people's lives. Now, he gives the reason, let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then he gives an explanation. He gives an explanation. Uh, Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So to receive as a little child. The intention here is to receive as a little child, like a child, not while a child. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't give the gospel to kids. 
It doesn't mean we don't rejoice over a young one coming to Christ. But Jesus is drawing a comparison about the attitude to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. It has nothing to do with the innocence of a child. They are still sinners, so they are not innocent. It is their receptive attitude and willingness to depend on another for what they need. They don't think about it. They just depend on those they think should be caring for them. And as a very trusting and a willing spirit to do that. So disciples, those who are going to come to Christ as disciples, should be childlike in this manner, not childish. Martin Luther found great comfort in and uh, and around inspiration from his children. Oh, excuse me. Great comfort in and inspiration from his children. Uh, At one time, he was disturbed and depressed by his enemies one day, and he noticed uh, little Martin nursing in his mother's arms and remarked, Child, your enemies are the Pope, the bishops, Duke George, Ferdinand, and the devil. And there you are, unconcerned. Even as he noticed his child's complete trust, he realized his own anxiety was unwarranted. God had promised to protect. On another occasion, Luther came upon Anastasia, his four-year-old, prattling away about Christ, angels, and heaven. Whereupon the noted churchman said, My dear child, if only one could hold fast to this faith. Quickly she replied, Why, Papa, don't you believe it? Luther was shocked and later wrote, Christ has made the children our teachers. When they come to faith, their pure and simple faith, their dependence and receptivity of Christ is something we need to learn and to maintain. Now we see in in this verse, in verse 15, we see receiving the kingdom of God is a definite action and that it accepts the kingdom as a gift. Let's review just briefly. Here, the kingdom of God is speaking broadly about God's presence, present rule in the lives of people. So accepting, receiving the kingdom of God is to receive the king, is to receive Jesus. How does a child receive a gift with complete dependence on the giver? We mentioned the verse earlier. I don't have it written down. I should have. Um, But we mentioned it in Sunday school. What father among you gives his child a stone when he comes seeking a bread? The child has dependence upon the parent to give what they need or what they desire. Not always... They don't always get what they desire, but they get, they depend on the giver for what they're receiving. Now, those who do not receive the kingdom 
as a child will by no means enter it. Will by no means enter it. The emphasis in the Greek here is a double negative. It's an emphasis. We don't really talk that way in English, but in, in the Greek grammar, a, a, a doubling is for emphasizing. So we have a double negative here, indicating the exclusive entrance into the kingdom. No, enter it means the kingdom of God here. Enter it. This depicts the kingdom as a society or community under God's sovereignty where the one entering it places themselves under his authority as a member of the community. It's something to enter. Thus to refuse to receive the blessings of the kingdom as a gift is to exclude oneself in the sharing of blessings and responsibilities of the kingdom. One author comments here, note that the kingdom is both to be received and entered. Two ideas that stand side by side throughout the Bible. The blessing of the kingdom, the blessings of the kingdom are to be received as a gift, yet we enter the kingdom through responsive faith and obedience. Furthermore, the kingdom and Jesus, in whom it drew near, are virtually synonymous. You read that last sentence. Furthermore, the kingdom and Jesus in whom it drew near are vertically synonymous. So at this point, I would stop and ask, have you repented of your sins? Have you repented of your sins, everything wrong you've ever done in your life, every word, every selfish thought or action, every lie told or hurtful word, and have by faith believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died as the atonement, the payment for those sins, and was raised three days later. Romans 3, 10, and 11, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God. And if you think you can earn this, you can't. You're wrong. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love toward us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Romans 3, 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if there is someone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, I invite you to do that now. You don't have to walk the aisle. You can do this now in your seat. You may not know the, the words to say, and that's okay. It's not necessarily about the right words. But right now, in your thoughts, tell God that you are now, that you know that you are a sinner. And because of it, you are without hope. But did you believe that Jesus' death is the only way to be free from your sin and the only hope for eternal life? Tell God you're sorry and that you are repenting, that you are turning away from your sins and turning to God. 
And if you just did that, if you just prayed for salvation, don't keep this to yourself. When we finish the service, tell someone what you did. Tell the person next to you. Tell me. Tell the person you're sitting next to. We want to know about it. Whether you're four or 99. This brings us into verse 16. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. So in verse 16, we see Jesus' blessing. Now Luke's account seems to show that Jesus called the children to himself. Matthew's account simply refers to the blessing by stating Jesus laid his hands on the children before leaving the town. Only Mark's account shows Jesus' full actions of interacting with the children. The phrase, he took them in his arms. This is the same word that was used back in chapter 9, verse 36, with the child in the house of Capernaum. It indicates Jesus taking each child into a gentle embrace or hug. And if these are infants, he took each infant in his arms. Now, the word blessed used only here, this particular word only used here in the New Testament, seems to mean the same as a related word that's often translated blessed. And this word should be understood as an intensive, indicating that Jesus didn't just bless these children as a formal act. He wasn't just going through the motion of a formal blessing, but with real fervency invoking God's blessing on these children. Now, there wasn't anything miraculous happening. There was no special magic happening with this blessing. He was just, he probably repeated a common prayer of blessing. But there was, the way Mark brings this out is that there was real fervency in his prayer over each child. One author notes, the benediction bestowed on these children did not confer upon them any special magical or spiritual virtue or quality. It was a, just a fervent prayer over each of these children. Mark also notes that Jesus laid his hands on each child to pray the blessing over each one. The same source explains uh, this a little bit later. And as Jesus brought each child into embrace, he disengaged one hand and laid it upon the little head while he pronounced his blessing upon the child, content, and that the child was content to yield to his embrace. So are we childlike As we close, I want to read this comment from Warren Wiersbe in his, from his B-series. It says, in what ways are children a pattern? In their humble dependence on others, their receptivity, their acceptance of themselves and their position in life. Of course, Jesus was speaking about an unspoiled child, not one who was trying to act like an adult. A child enjoys much but can explain very little. Children live by faith. By faith, 
They accept their lot, trusting others to care for them and see them through. So are we childlike in our faith? And of those of us who have been who have been disciples for a number of years, are we hindering some from coming to Jesus? And if we are, how are we doing that? Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we were able to spend looking into your word this morning to be reminded of your love and concern for all that come to seek you. And while we want to be correct in how we present the gospel and we want to be careful in how we do it, we want to be sure that we are preaching the gospel in such a way that we're not hindering those you are calling, that we are not becoming the stumbling block or the obstruction, but that we are directing those and that we are directing them with the truth of your word. And at the same time, Father, as we come here, as we study your word, we need to rely on you the way a child relies on their parents. With that simple faith, with that willingness to trust and depend. As adults, we tend to overthink, we tend to rationalize, we tend to try and figure things out on our own when there are times we just need to trust you and though you call us to still do work in whatever situation we find it, we need to trust you with it. To help us to continue to have this childlike faith. And we thank you that even to call upon your name for salvation, it is a simple childlike faith. That there's no extra work because we can do no work to earn it. So as we close this morning, Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for giving us your word. And we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.